0: rain wilson aimer tolls you name it they come they share new episodes of you are what you read drop every tuesday on apple spotify or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts
2: all right welcome back to uap the unidentified alien podcast on episode 57 it's Steven Diener right here. Karen Curtis over there. I almost forgot my name for a second. <laughs> Karen, how are you today?
1: <laughs> I'm fine. Thank you so much. Before we get started, I wanted to bring up a guy in the Philippines who shouted out to us, and he apparently loves UAP. Oh. Yes. Well, that's and, good. Yeah. <laughs> we found one. <laughs> apparently, we had a little glitch on Spotify. Yeah. So everything's been rect- rectified, I guess. all Everything's back to normal, but... I I'm gonna just chalk it up to an alien blip.
2: I think it was. I think the aliens were trying to. They're um, like,
1: man, these guys are accurate. They were trying they to can't stop have us. That.
2: They didn't. They didn't like what we were saying. But yeah, no. Shout out to. I think it's. And I, I hate to say anybody's name wrong, but um, I have Matthias. Yeah. So he he shouted us out and let us know there was something wrong with the show on Spotify, and he wasn't. I had noticed it as well, and maybe you know you as well noticed it. Um, for anybody listening, there was like duplicates and triple episodes of yeah. stuff we had already done. There was a weird um glitch in the system. We had to get with our parent company to look into it, and they got it. Done. There was something wrong with the coding. Long story short, really, oh. techy stuff, but. They fixed it. So hopefully, you're not seeing that weird glitch anymore. If you are, let us know. But thank you to uh, Matthias there in the Philippines. Yes. You know, a lot of people uh, on on his end who just follow him on social media. So we appreciate anybody who listens yeah. to the show. And He's
1: got a check mark.
2: Spread it out. Yes, <laughs> he does have a check mark. Very yeah. impressive. I
1: know. Spread
2: it out. If you like the show, spread it out so other people can enjoy it as well. But this is episode fifty seven. Is Northern Lights part two, Karen?
1: I love when we have multiple parts. Good.
2: Yes. Good. I'm glad. I get ner- nervous sometimes about the multiple parts series episodes that we do just because i don't want anybody to get bored on the same subject but i feel like we switch it up even in the you know the series that have multiple parts in it because this is canadian hot spots <laughs> and i think you're <laughs> and it's gonna, all in manitoba that right you're gonna notice that it's i didn't mean to do that it's i wanted so to funny. spread the wealth canada is a very big beautiful country and un, well i shouldn't say unfortunately but just out of circumstance it all Every story we end up covering here is in Manitoba, for whatever reason. But we'll give you some other stats about uh, Canada in general. But before we do that and get into the, some of these stories, because it's one guy that we're going to talk about today as one of the craziest encounters I've ever heard. Oh, it's wow. It's kind of sad, too, I'll be honest. It's, it's just the end result, but we'll get to that. Does he a, die? A, no, no, he's, he didn't die. Is he maimed? A little bit.
1: No. Yeah,
2: it's... Uh, so we'll, we'll get to that. That's uh, really quite a fascinating story. And he had a big interview about it, too. So you're going to get to hear from him during the story itself. But before we get into all that here today, Karen, you have a factoid. I do. You always do. What I do you got there today?
1: Well, you know, this DART, what does that stand for? It's an acronym for?
2: Double Asteroid Redirection Test. Okay. And I am convinced real quick, by the way, that NASA came up and, to their scientists or whoever names these things and said, listen, we're calling this project DART. We know it's called Dart because we're shooting something at an asteroid. Think of something that can fit into the acronym Dart. So yeah. I'm pretty sure they worked backwards. Yeah, that's how so I, I think I like you're right. Yeah,
1: <laughs> they reverse
2: engineered Dart. How could you not want to name it Dart? Oh
1: my God, it's so good. So, they say their spacecraft. I didn't. It goes like seven million miles.
2: It was pretty far out there.
1: Um, and I don't know if that's light years or what the heck, but <laughs> um, it, they intentionally slammed it into an asteroid. Well, it was successful, and it changed the course.
2: It's fascinating, of really. Of the
1: asteroid. So we now know that they will be able to do that in a real-world situation Right. if something's coming at us. But I do understand that they need to have a head start. Okay. It's not something they can do instantaneously. Like, um, there's an asteroid about to hit us, no, you have to send it out, like, months ahead of time or years ahead of time.
2: Yeah, it's something— Oh, so, I don't know. It well, is fascinating, though. I mean, the, the math on how that works and how they're able to figure out, okay, this object in space that's moving 20,000 miles per hour, yeah. we have to hit this object that will hit that object. It's—I don't know how they
0: do it.
1: No. Well, here <laughs> here's the NASA administrator, Bill Nelson.
0: It was expected to be a huge success if it only slowed the orbit by about 10 minutes. But it actually slowed it by 32 minutes. Oh,
1: wow! And h- how
0: does something like that? Yeah, happen? how do
1: they time that? They got like a stopwatch up there. It's or, amazing. Uh, you know why it slowed it? No. Because of the thrust, Steven. Oh, seven point
0: six million pounds of thrust.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. He's talking to his wife. Oh no! No oh, no no! Help me.
0: Future oh. mission
1: will visit the double asteroid system to study further the impact area. It's just the way he says that. I it know. gets me every time. You want to hear it again?
0: Sure. <laughs> 7.6 million pounds of
2: thrust. All right, I'm sorry. I know we're being silly. I'm sorry. So that was Bill Nelson, the director of NASA. An incredible successful test there for the DART mission. Getting back on the subject here, the amount of get this, okay? Just as far as stats go for UFO sightings, since it's Canadian hotspots. The amount of UFO sightings in Canada has been increasing year over year. According to the 2002 Canadian UFO survey published by UFOlogy Research in Manitoba and Toronto, had the largest number of sightings with 34, followed by Vancouver with 31, and British Columbia with 25. Then on July 15, 2018, a Canadian news site mentioned that a new study conducted by the UFOlogy Research in Manitoba formerly known as they, they took off the Manitoba name. It doesn't have that on there anymore. They now say that there's more than 1,000 UFO sightings reported in Canada back in 2017, and that number has continued to grow every single year up until now. Here we are in October of 2022 when this episode is being made. So the question begs, why? Why is Canada becoming this, this hotspot? The last time we spoke... On episode 56, which was part one of our Northern Lights series, it was all about some rarely mentioned UFO sightings in the most northern parts of the United States. Some really fascinating, I mean, I, I thought anyway, thought-provoking stuff. In case you missed it, it was you can go back to episode 56 and, and listen to part one. Uh, but now it's time to move even further north, okay, as we explore some of the most unexplainable and inconceivable sightings in what we're calling canadian hotspots.
1: so i want to point out manitoba yes i just looked it up so it's like in the world central part of canada yeah it's right on lake winnipeg right and it's just kind of like southwest of hudson bay okay so i wonder it's a
2: huge province it
1: really is it
2: goes very far north
1: yeah i wonder if there are any of those what are they usos or there could be, and actually... Because there might be that... I'm thinking, why is Manitoba such a hot spot? Because mm-hmm. you've got Hudson Bay and Lake Winnipeg.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do you say that, Karen? Uh-huh. Because our first story takes us to what could be considered um, really one of the earliest sightings in recorded modern history and the earliest sighting in Canadian history as far as something that was recorded in Manitoba. There has been over two hundred or two thousand sightings alone in the past two hundred years. And this one dates back to 1792.
1: No, see, Cuba or Cuba, Canada and the United States weren't there because Christopher Columbus didn't find it until oh, that year. No,
2: no, no, they were still there. That's when two explorers named David Thompson and Andrew Davie they reported seeing something that they just could not explain. I mean, it's hard for us to explain unidentified lights and sightings in 2022. Imagine trying to explain it in 1792 when there was nothing flying in the sky.
1: So David and Andrew were already on the continent?
2: They were in Manitoba. They were explorers. <laughs> hey, who's this guy? <laughs> doing, <laughs> they're doing their thing. Uh. Now, this guy here is a famed uh, Canadian UFO researcher. He's done a lot with Canadian research into the UFO and UMP phenomenon. His name is Chris uh, Rudkowski. And he explains a little bit more about this story dating back to 1792 right here.
3: David Thompson was in an area that was now around Thicket Portage in 1792. And it was winter when they said that um, they had seen a mass of gelatinous luminosity um, moving through the air. And it actually approached them. And when it was in a few hundred feet of them, it dropped to the uh, surface of the lake and vanished from sight.
1: So gelatinous luminosity. luminosity. Isn't that ectoplasm?
2: It sounds kind of like it, doesn't it? Because I can tell you gelatinous that...
1: Gelatinous luminosity. That is a
2: definition, not a, a definition, but an explanation. Um, I have never heard before no. in a UFO sighting. No, that's, that's new to me from a witness account. But there is a little bit more uh, detail here to this story. It actually comes straight from David Thompson's diary. So it reads this. Basically how he and his traveling companion, Davy were surprised on the nights that we're talking about here by what they called a brilliant meteor of globular form, <laughs> okay? And they say that it appeared larger than the moon, and it struck the river ice with a sound like a mass of jelly. There is your gelatinous description there. And they said it was dashed into innumerable luminous pieces, and it instantly expired. Then the diary says, the next morning we went to see what marks this meteor had made on the ice. Because here they're talking about it as a meteor. They're referring to it as a meteor in the diary. And they say that they could not discover a single particle was even marked.
1: That's weird.
2: There's no signs of an
1: impact anywhere. Maybe it became a, a USO, a submerged somewhere. Which is why
2: I found it interesting yeah. you asked that question about USOs given yeah, the bodies of water in Manitoba. because there wouldn't be
1: any trace.
2: There was nothing there. How did it go through the ice? If it's okay, I think they changed their
1: molecular structure into gelatinous luminosity.
2: I mean, honestly, that explains what they saw and why there's nothing there. It made this itself into this jelly-like form to maybe get through the ice into the water. I've never heard of that before. And these guys, these explorers, are explaining what trying to their best to explain what they're seeing back in 1792.
1: They went viral. Their diary did.
2: Oh, that's right. Yes, it was. It was a big hit in the. Manitoba newspaper, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. But it's you think about this, if it's a meteor, which is the most sensible explanation. Right. I mean, that's what David Thompson wrote in his diary, that they saw this meteor, but they went back, and there's no impact. So how can it be a meteor? And this is probably what they were confused about the rest of their lives. How can it be a meteor without an impact crater? Mm-hmm. Where's, where's any sign of fragments of the rock? There's nothing there. How is that possible? I
1: also like the fact that there's two of them. Right. So it's not just one drunk guy right. in the middle of Manitoba. Uh, it's two guys, and they saw the same thing.
2: And we had a similar story, actually, uh, on part one last week. I think her name was Annie Talon, and I'm just going best off memory from the last episode, where she talked about going through the Black Hills area right. of, of the uh, Dakotas. And her traveling party saw this, basically what they're talking about, almost like this thing streaking across the sky, made a loud noise. And we thought, well, it could be a meteor, but they had the same experience. They never found any type of impact site.
1: But this was much later than 1792. Yeah,
2: they, theirs was, I think it was in the 1890s. Oh, it's weird. So, I don't know. <laughs> you sounds that like one out. It sounds
1: like the aliens have made advancements as well. Yeah, really? From gelatinous luminosity to, you know, actually...
2: Spaceships. Uh, it's very strange. It's a strange one. It, it would be easy to explain if they had found a crater somewhere, yeah. but there's no sign of a crash. So,
1: And then they're questioning themselves. Yeah, you know, well, maybe we just I imagined it.
2: You decide on that one. Now, this next one sounds like the plot for some type of sci-fi horror movie, oh, to be good. honest with you. But according to multiple witnesses, again, this is a multiple witness account. We they they, what you're about to hear actually happened, okay?
1: Oh my god.
2: To begin, we fast forward a couple of hundred years from seventeen ninety two all the way up to nineteen sixty seven. That's when a cube shaped UFO. Cube shaped. (laughs) That's unusual. Also a new thing. Not very aerodynamic. No, no, it's
1: it's like that stupid car was it the
2: edge? (laughs) <laughs> I know what you're talking about oh, If my anybody God. drives the cube car, we apologize <laughs> But they're saying that This close encounter happened On uh, June 30th, 1967 According to the documentation It was in a rural town called Thompson Believe it or not In Manitoba And I, I did find it interesting how this uh, Name of this town had the same name of the explorer yes, We were just talking about maybe. in our
1: past story yeah.
2: But they actually, I looked it up They shared no relation Okay it was just kind of a coincidence that... Because
1: you knew I would ask.
2: I, yes, that's right. And I was wondering myself.
1: David and Andrew.
2: Yeah. I just found it fascinating, this explorer named David Thompson. And then there's this town called Thompson in Manitoba, but no relation to the explorer. But it happened in the same, with the same name. Weird. That said, imagine you're outside in front of your house, okay? And you're just watching your kids play. And them and their friends are playing. Everything's normal. Until a giant cube-shaped UFO appears. Oh, And it starts to abduct one of your kids. What? The hell is this? This is bananas. Now, we bring back our Canadian UFO expert, Chris Rutkowski. Okay. And he he goes into detail a little bit more on this one. Oh, good.
3: As they were playing, this wind came up and uh, this object appeared in the sky and one of the girls who was closest to it started being sucked up into the sky by this whatever it was. And they actually had to grab her legs and pull her back down to the ground to keep her from flying off and being abducted by a flying cube.
2: What? Now here's the part that gets me, okay? If that wasn't enough, it was witnessed by the girl's parents along with the other kids who were there. They they are the ones who had to pull her down. Yeah, this girl is floating into the air
1: right above their heads. Yeah, I don't. There's no explanation. Well,
2: Rakowski had some final thoughts on it here.
3: So I'd have to rank that fairly high up on the strange factor. Yeah,
2: I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ding, that's ding, the best ding, we can ding. do. The
1: strangeometers pegging.
2: Yeah. And this isn't, you know, some random time in prehistoric history. This is 1967. Right. Okay, there's records of this. There's witnesses. I was
1: five. I saw it. No. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's what
2: those kids, I mean, they were little kids and they're still alive. I wonder what they have to say about Correct. it. I couldn't find any interviews with them, but it's, it's a wild story. It is. And a Cubed UFO. Why? How is know. that?
1: It's so strange. Usually they're, what, pill-shaped or... You've got the triangular shaped Sure. You've got the saucer. The
2: classic saucer, the cigar, cigarette right. type thing, you know, huh. the elongated UFO. Never heard of a square one. A cube. cube. So again, take that for what it's worth, but just I I can't help but to put myself in that position, having young kids myself. I mean, I just imagine myself being in the front yard or in the backyard or a plain tag or something, and then a giant cube comes from the sky and starts trying to suck one of my kids up into the air. Whoa. And you, and just out of reaction, you have to pull on them to bring them back down to earth, and then it flies away.
1: And it makes you wonder how many other the encounters there have been, but haven't been documented. Yeah, these are just the ones that are documented.
2: Right, right. I mean, imagine the all the other ones that people don't talk about and are lost to history. So, I don't know. And you asked the question, Karen: Why so much in Manitoba? And yeah,
1: what's up with that? There
2: was, there's actually a nickel mine. <gasps> Oh. In Thompson, Manitoba, where this cube UFO was seen, and almost they had this near abduction case, and actually Manitoba itself is one of the biggest uh, sources for nickel, and this area of Manitoba by Thompson is very well known, I suppose, for having a big deposit of nickel where they could do a lot of mining for the element.
1: Is I don't know. Is nickel conductive? I'm not sure. I think if it was gold, I'd be more interested. But now, nickel?
2: I, I, I don't know what to make out of that. I know. I don't know. I mean, know. it's an
1: element, but.
2: I don't know if, you know, uh, otherworldly beings would use nickel for some type of fuel or conductor or power.
1: What if, if they like this, it's an awesome source of power and we haven't like figured it out yet?
2: I, I really, yeah. I mean, it uh, could be. I don't, I don't know what to make of the fact that Thompson is one of the biggest nickel reserves in the world. I just know that it does, and that's where this stuff is taking place. I don't know if that's a coincidence, so just wanted to throw that out there. But let's go ahead and give you some context here before we dive into our last story for today because this following encounter here, and I know you might be thinking, wow, those were kind of quick, and I I did that on purpose because I wanted to leave enough time for this final story. Oh, boy. It's so detailed and so mysterious that it actually appeared on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries back in the day. Remember that show, Robert Stack? Oh, I loved it. That show, side note, used to scare the crap out of me when I was a kid. (laughs) The the, the creepy music and Robert Stack. Oh, so good. He was so good at that. Yeah. And it was a great show. But some consider this to be one of Canada's most famous sightings, actually. And it was so famous. Get this. Not only was it on Unsolved Mysteries, but they even minted a coin to commemorate it. Was it a nickel? No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was, I didn't know they had this in Canada, but it was a $20 coin.
1: Oh, $20 coin.
2: I didn't know that was a thing. It came, back, uh, came oh, out back in... Oh, it's like a in, Sacagawea. Yeah, the, those are dollar coins here in America. The, the $20 coin commemorating this story we're about to talk about came back in 2018. And the entire thing remains a mystery to this day. Really? This whole story. They, they can't pinpoint exactly what happened. Another cool fact about that coin, by the way, real quick, it glows in the dark. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I know. I guess How they built. Felt... How is it?
1: Is it gelatinous luminosity? I don't think it's gelatinous
2: luminosity, but huh. it does glow in the dark. Did you for $20. look up the
1: mineral rights for Manitoba and who owns them? Does it say like- um, I didn't go that
2: deep. I'm sorry. We, we can Google after the episode. What, if
1: are, what are some alien names? <laughs> oh, I know. What? That guy in the middle of Venus. Oh, Good looking well, Valiant him. Thor. Valiant Thor, Thor sure. owns the middle right.
0: There you go. Yeah,
2: we did a whole episode <laughs> on him. But this one here, this story that we're going to talk about is referred to as the Falcon Lake Incident.
0: I love nature. I love birds, animals. And also, I have interest in nature, so rocks and this and that. Every weekend, in the long weekend, I usually travel, go to the out in the country and snooping in the, in the rocks. Okay, so...
1: Snooping in the rocks?
2: That voice you heard was uh, Stephen Michalik, who liked to snoop in the rocks. He was kind of an um, amateur geologist, if you will. <gasps> and this experience that he had is kind of thought about, really, as a Roswell-type of experience in, ca- in Canadian UFO lore. I mean, it's, it's unexplainable. There's evidence, and you'll, you'll hear it. It's a very strange story. So on May 20th, 1967... Stephen Michalik was just out doing what he was talking about. He enjoyed nature. He liked going through the rocks, searching through, breaking them. He would go out with his thick gloves and welder glasses to protect from the <laughs> shards <laughs> of rock <laughs> flying into his eye. As he was he, all set. He was prepared. He had his snooping gear on. Yeah, he was ready to go. He was doing his thing. And he was out in Falcon Lake in Manitoba. which just for geography's sake, oh, pinpointed. Oh, Falcon Lake. Uh, It sits about 100 miles east of Winnipeg. So, Winnipeg is in southern Manitoba. So you're talking, that's kind of the area here. So he was just minding his own business. He's doing his geology thing. When he started to hear a commotion down below, that's when he decided to go check it out. What was happening? He saw birds flying. There was a lot of noise going on. So he's like, you know, let me, let me see what's going on here.
0: Here's our snooper. Looking on the tree, I a two cigarette-like shape things with the hump in the middle. I said, what the hell is that? One stay in the air, and the other one is coming down, down, down.
1: What Beyond the, down. What the hell was that? What the hell was that? That's what I'd be thinking, too. You got the cigarette shape now. Aha! Uh-huh. But this is the same year as the square thing.
2: I'm glad you caught that. And not only is it the same year, but what, we're, we're talking, we yeah. said May 20th, 1967. Right. And then in the one that we were just talking about with the cube, it was June 30th, 1967. This is a month before. We're a month apart here. Yeah. From two incredible sighting cases. What the hell? In Canadian history. So I'm glad you caught that, Karen, because, that, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So I would be, again, that reaction there that Steven had was exactly what I think what would was thinking. You look up and you see this now a classic type of shape, right, not a cube, but now something that we've heard before, cigarette, cigar type of shape, elongated UFO, and you see it coming down further and further down, and you're thinking, what the hell is that? And he has no idea. There's two of them, right? There was two, but one came down. Okay. So Stephen continued to watch as this craft descended to the ground below. And as anybody else would, I know I would, he gets curious. So he begins to get closer and closer to the craft. He wants to get a good look at it. What is he experiencing here? So he wants to find some markings. He wants to see anything that could describe what he's seeing.
0: I start looking for... Marks. I never see a UR or NASA or something ri- uh, written on it. No. Nothing. I didn't see okay. anything on it. But still, I was thinking that probably experimenting from the United States. <laughs> yeah, of course. So I love no, that there. So there's
1: no N number, there's no nothing, tail number.
2: Nothing, no serial numbers, nothing like that. No markings, if any, that would go back to any type of country or government. Where's or his agency. accent from? The ting? It's actually, he, I'm glad you asked that. He's a Polish immigrant. Ah. And, and he came over to Canada after the war. Okay. Um, so if you're wondering that, I'm glad you asked because he was, by all accounts, uh, just a quiet, unassuming guy. Yeah. He's just living his life with his wife and his children. He had a family there and, you know, by the Winnipeg area. Just doing their thing back in the 60s. So, you know, I think you could probably gather that, too, just by listening to him. It seems like an easygoing, normal guy and a skeptic. Yes. You know, and I, so that's why I'm glad he said that there because he's thinking even in
1: that moment. in a. In a it's got to be the United States. Right.
2: <laughs> something that he can't explain. A scenario is. that is unimaginable to any of us as this craft has now landed in front of him. And his first thought is, well, it's got to be some type of experiment, maybe from the Americans or NASA, whatever. Like, but it has, to be, it has to be human, right? So he's a skeptic at heart, even when he's seen it happen right in front of his face. Yeah. You know, he's not some kooky guy. like, I was abducted by aliens. Right. He was sitting there saying, no, I, I thought this was an experiment. What the hell is this? Right. So he got closer. He kept approaching the craft. He described it, and I found this fascinating because, and I'll I'll say it first, and I'll tell you why. I think this is a pretty cool connection. He called it seamless steel, (gasps) almost as if it was carved out of a singular steel block. Interesting. Imagine, like, I I would compare it to, like, a Renaissance artist would sculpt a statue. They would start with that solid, like, marble block, right, and work their way from there. It's seamless, and that's what he saw with this UFO, and I find that fascinating, Karen, because if you go way back to the episode that we did on Bob Lazar, and he talked about his uh, work that he did in you know the Area Fifty One area, and you know as far as helping reverse engineer one flying saucer as he called it in, in uh, particular, he described it as seamless, this steel structure with nothing in there that would show you where any no parts were connected. No, yes, exactly. So you have that description from Bob Lazar, who as I know is a controversial figure in the UFO world. Some people believe him, some people don't. But then you have this humble guy from Same Manitoba. Same description.
1: And you know how we love to have like repetitiveness and things repeating. That's right. And we have it all the time. And
2: so here you have a description going back from 1967 from a guy who's just a normal dude living in Manitoba on a farm pretty much, just breaking rocks for fun. And he's describing the same type of seamless steel that Bob Lazar described 25 years later. Wow. Makes you wonder. It does. So it's also worth noting the shape of the craft that Michalik described, which, again, that more classic cigar, cigarette shape with a dome on the top. You would assume that dome is where the flight controls would have been, right? Mm -hmm. You know, to have room for that. He also gave one more important detail that you need to keep in mind here when you hear it, because... It had one section on the bottom layer, okay? He actually made a drawing of this UFO, and if I can, I'll put it up on the okay. UFP blog Good. on 850wftl.com, where, where we put the show. Um, he, he sketched it as it was sitting there. Oh, great. And it looks like your classic flying saucer. I think it maybe changed shape or something after it came down. But what he described on the bottom layer was around a dozen holes or so in it. And it, it was just on one particular. So even though you had this seamless steel, on one part of the bottom, you had this, this, I guess, rectangle of holes. And you'll see that in the picture, too, if I'm able to put that up on our blog page there on 850wfdl.com. So why? Mm. Right? Well, he goes on to describe what happened next. Okay. As he walked right up to the UFO, and get this, the door, the hatch, began to
0: open. When the gate opened, there was a kinda of shrieky talk like a like a kid in problem or something. Thinking of USA, I said, okay, Yankee boys. Yankee boys Seems to me you are in trouble.
2: Yankee boy.
0: Yankee boys. Yankee are boys. You in
2: trouble? And I, I I kind of I don't know. Maybe this is a stretch here, but this is what just popped up. I know what those head. holes
1: were. They were peepholes, so you could see what was outside of the vehicle. Maybe. Almost like a periscope
2: on a submarine. On the door. I don't know. Oh, yeah, and your people. Could be. But maybe keep that suggestion, because okay. you'll hear in a minute here. But I, I don't know. Maybe I'm making a stretch here in this connection, but he's talking about almost childlike chatter. I mean, a lot of times, at least with the grays, they're described as very small. Right. Oh, right. Three to four feet tall. People say they resemble a child in their stature
1: except they have three fingers.
2: Yes. And big, bulbous heads with big eyes and slits for nose. But aside from that, their stature resembles children. So I don't know. I just found that interesting when he said as far as the sound he was hearing. But he was as he was calling out, hey, Yankee boys and all those different things, he wasn't getting any answers. So he even tried calling out to any possible inhabitants in any other languages, oh, too. Oh,
1: he's bilingual. Actually,
2: Trilingual. spoke Russian. Oh. spoke German. Oh, multilingual. And, of course, Polish. That with English. He tried in four languages huh. to call out to whatever he was hearing inside this craft, and nothing seemed to work because he wasn't getting a response. So, naturally, he did what any of us, I think, would do next. Became more curious.
1: I don't know. Would you walk up to it? At this point, I'd run. I would
2: be really freaked out. Yeah. And I'm not sure what I would do. I know I mean in modern day I would have out my, my phone and I yes, would record recording it. Exactly. But
1: live on Facebook. Oh, of course. And then they'd block yeah. you.
2: Yes. Yes. And he'd probably <laughs> for you know, fake news. Probably. I mean, you know, now modern day is different, but he became more curious and he decided to go even closer, right up to the UFO itself for closer examination. So here's where he noticed the light getting brighter and brighter <gasps> that was coming out from the open hatch. It got so bright in fact that he actually had to put on the welder glasses that he was wearing while he was you know carving into his rocks breaking the rocks. Prospecting he had to put that on in the rocks. Oh, yeah, he was doing his prospecting, but this time he was using those goggles for something else because the light got so bright. But still, though, no one responded to his calls as all this was going on. He was. Did still he trying. try telepathy? I don't think he knew how to do that one. Uh. He knew four languages, but not telepathy. Mm. But then, as all that was happening, as the light got brighter and brighter, the door then suddenly closed. Oh boy! Just as if it was like if it was never open. So that's when he decided. You know what? I'm going to reach out and touch this. Oh thing. boy! Well, that's immediately singed the thick gloves he was wearing.
1: Wow!
2: So much so. That it would be like if he touched a molten piece of metal. Okay. And which is interesting because he described this as seamless steel. And it was that hot. I mean, he had to like rip off his glove. It was burned. His glove was burned. They found his glove later on with burn marks on it. And so it was in this moment where Michalik's life changed forever. And that's when this entire story takes a turn from strange close encounter to the thing of legend. So much so that they made a coin from it.
1: Da, da, da. That's a, worth what?
2: 20 bucks. 20 bucks. According to Stephen, the craft, not me, Stephen McCalick, <laughs> the craft started to rotate with now the section of the holes that he talked about on the side. Those were now facing him. And after it rotated and those holes faced him, the craft shot off into the sky. Oh, my. As it did that, it left behind a trail of fire. Oh, its wake turbulence was... Fire. And it shot right into his chest Oh my god And it set his shirt on fire So this is, it got pretty bad This is where uh, Michalik has a little bit more
0: After igniting with the fire The craft lifts up 30 to 40 feet And vanished and Then I decided I said, Now is the time for me to buzz off from here Go out So I start going
2: Yeah I'd say Time to get out of there So and that now see that makes me think that this these holes were like some type of grill exhaust or whatever. I don't know. I mean, we always talk about UFOs not having any type of trail behind it, but this one for whatever reason was a little bit different. But then he started to experience strange symptoms. He was messed up. Uh huh. Nauseous, vomiting, disoriented. He was burned. He found his compass, but the needle was going crazy spinning everywhere. So he was able to finally find his way home after nine hours being out and searching a way home. And then he began to tell a story. He got checked out at the hospital. And believe it or not, because I know you're thinking the same thing I was thinking, it's got to be radiation poisoning. Yes, yes. They said it wasn't. Really? But they did find something that was shocking. They removed his shirt, of course, right? They're doing the whole body checkup. They found the burn marks on his torso matched exactly... The holes that he described, seen on the UFO.
1: Wow, that's crazy. Same
2: shape, same distance as far wow. as you know the, the holes that were away from each other, and it made that imprint on his torso. And I mean, it basically they they couldn't explain why. He <laughs> was just there all of a sudden. He has these marks, and it matches these holes he described as it flew off into the cosmos. This UFO. Unfortunately, he ended up suffering from these symptoms on and off for the rest of his life. The nausea, the vomiting, the You hear this from a lot
1: of adu- abductees. They same come thing. back on and off. And, but they also have these same symptoms.
2: Well, here's... Right. Yeah, exactly. And normally, you would chalk it up to radiation poisoning. But here's also one of the other weird things about this for him. The burns would heal. But then they would come back. Oh, wow. Every few months. This was the cycle. They would go away. They Maybe would come it was back. shingles. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe God is coincidence. I don't know. but that's, That is
1: so weird.
2: That's the part that was weird to me. They, this, normally when Burns heal, they scar and that's the end of
1: it. But then they would come back like they were fresh. And the doctors huh. could not explain why. And neither could he. That's really strange. I have to ask about the coin. Is it still in circulation? I think it is. It came out about four years ago. Oh, okay.
2: So, uh, And is his face there. on it? Uh, It's more of like an artist's depiction of okay. what he described. So later they did do studies at the site where he had his encounter. They found that the area was radiated. I'll bet. And then they even found shards of extremely rare and pure silver. And those shards were radiated. Oh,
1: that's interesting.
2: So what are we to make of this entire thing? Did
1: they find magnetism because the compass was spinning around?
2: I don't know if they went that far into it. But, I mean, the, the compass spinning is also something we hear about in some abduction and, and cases, And crop too. circles. Right, I mean, but they did find this big burned area as well oh, okay. where he described the, the, the UFO being. For what it's worth, McCalick himself always believed that he was the victim of a secret government experiment. He actually okay. never believed what we are assuming here, that this was a you know well, he otherworldly have, craft. He
1: didn't have a frame of reference. Right. So he immediately thought it's the U.S.
2: Yeah. He thought this was some secret U.S. Those experiment that, unfortunately, he came across that nobody was supposed to see. Doctors were never fully able to explain or diagnose his symptoms. Hmm. They said it resembled radiation poisoning. They wanted to say it was radiation poisoning, but it wasn't. He passed away in 1999 from old age. Oh, bless his heart. But his story lives on forever in UFO and UAP lore. Awesome. So what was this?
1: Yeah, what the hell was that? Was
2: it Stephen McCalick what he thought... you know, he thought it was a government experiment. Was it that? Or was this some type of alien craft that, unfortunately, he just got a little too
1: close to? I don't know. In 1967, there wasn't a lot of advanced technology that could do those things.
2: I mean, if you believe his story, now he's the only witness to this. I don't see why he would have a reason to lie so specifically about something with all these details. I mean, other, there's skeptics who say that he made it up.
1: Yeah, but the symptoms of the craft that I left mean the holes on him.
2: And they kept coming back.
1: Yeah. That's the part that gets me. That's weird. That's something
2: you don't normally hear about from any other normal burn, where it would heal and come back, heal and come back like it was new. And how is this not radiation poisoning? That's another thing, too. I mean, again, these holes on the craft, that's something we don't hear about a lot. Is that some type of exhaust grill? I don't. A lot of questions with this one.
1: <laughs> there are. It's interesting, but I'm so glad you shared it because— That they were all in Manitoba, too, is interesting to me.
2: Well, the Northern Lights, and we went far north up to Canada for this part two of Canadian uh, Northern Lights with the Canadian hotspots. So you make up your mind on these. You know, that's what we always do. We give you the story. You make up your mind. Definitely one that uh, I've been racking my brain over since putting this together, and I still can't make sense of it. I mean, if I'm going to make my own assumption... Yes, He came into contact with another worldly being, the craft with you know, more technology than we could ever dream of right now or now or in 1967. And he's felt the effects of it for the rest of his life.
1: But he never actually saw the beans. He heard chatter.
2: He heard chatter. And then
1: the door closed again. Right. So he didn't see who was inside. Right. That's interesting to me.
2: So, again, make of it what you will, but definitely something that uh, I'm going to be thinking about for a while myself. Yeah. Now, it's- next time. And UAP, we're actually going to stay in Canada, believe it or not. Okay. Because, and I'll be honest, these are stories I had never heard before. I'm Glad
1: I packed my yeah, keep, long johns, my long underwear.
2: Yeah, keep it all there. Um, but I came across these stories when I was researching these, and I thought to myself, "What am I reading? It's weird." <laughs> I'll just, I'll just say really? that. Really. The next episode is going to be called uh, Close Encounters of the Canadian Kind.
1: Oh, my God. We're going to talk to Justin Bieber. No,
2: no, not so much, but that'll be episode 58. And they're really strange stories that uh, we're going to be throwing at you next time. Not to focus on one part of the world so much, but I I just I got to get these to you. Yeah,
1: And if you're living in another part of the world and you have some weird stories from where you live, let us know.
2: Yeah, on our Twitter handle at UA Podcast Eight Fifty. That's where you can find us on Twitter. We we love everybody who's been following the show on there. We get more and more followers every week after the show comes out, so we appreciate that because we get your feedback.
1: Yeah, uh, and, Matthias found me on Instagram. Yes, because uh, I have a Full Rigor Podcast over there. That's right. So he messaged me there.
2: Yeah, and the, congratulations on your Full Rigor Podcast. You Thank do great you. on great work on that. Thank you. So if you like, follow us there at UA Podcast Eight Fifty on Twitter, and you know any feedback that you have and. Um, and share the show. You know, if, if you enjoy it, keep sharing it with your friends and your followers and things like that and family and let them know, hey, these two crazy people have some pretty wild stories if you want to listen. We're not
1: making anything up. We're no. just sharing.
2: That's, that's exactly it. So we'll do it again next time. Of course, download, subscribe, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. And on 850WFTL.com, where the show lives, under the podcast section. You can find it on the blog section there where we put the show all the time as well. So for Karen Curtis there, Stephen Diener right here, we hope you enjoyed this one. And when we do the next one, we hope you enjoy that as well on UAP, the Unidentified Alien Podcast. Talk to you
1: again next time.